welcome to UCD ScholarCast. I'm Emily Pine, the series editor. The following lecture in the series Gender and Commemoration, as part of the Irish Memory Studies Network, is given by Professor Cahill McLaughlin, Chair of Film Studies at Queen's University, Belfast. The Prison Memory Archive. I would like to begin this talk with a quote from Elizabeth Jelen, an Argentinian writer, who commented, We live in a time when traditions are subject to multiple forms of critical scrutiny, when hierarchical paradigms based on canonical knowledge are undergoing profound transformations, and in which a plurality of new subjects are demanding their place within the public sphere. In this context, the transmission of the knowledge and meanings of the past becomes an open and public issue, subject to strategic struggles and controversies about the politics of memory. The Prison Memory Archive is a set of recordings of the memories of 175 people who worked or were imprisoned in the prisons which were used to hold political prisoners during the Troubles here. They were Armagiel, and the Mays and Longkesh prison. The Troubles were 30 years of political violence over the constitutional status of Northern Ireland or the North of Ireland. Relatively speaking, for example, compared to Guatemala, there was a small level of violence, but it was significant for a Western democracy. The prisons can be seen as iconic, as touchstone and tinderbox, which influenced outside politics, and outside politics influenced what happened inside those prisons. We thought that if we can tell the story of the prisons, we can tell one of the most important stories that reflect what happened during the Troubles. As a result of the paramilitary ceasefires of 1994 and 1998, and the Belfast Agreement of 1998 between the UK Government and the Republic of Ireland Government, Prisoners were released by the year 2000 and some of the prisons were closed. The prisoners themselves were a crucial constituency in the decisions to agree the ceasefires and also the 1998 agreement. After several years of negotiations with constituencies, for example prison staff and prisoners, we gained access to Armagh Jail in 2006 and to the Mays and Longkesh prison in 2007 to make these recordings. There are three main protocols that we use in the Prison Memory Archive. They are inclusivity, collaboration and life storytelling. The first protocol of our work is inclusivity, with as full a range as possible of participants, many of whom, of course, have conflicting memories. One way of gauging a society's ability to move out of violence is to monitor its ability to listen to the other stories, the stories of those that you have been in conflict with. A second protocol we have is collaboration. We work closely with participants and underpin our commitment by agreeing co-ownership of the material with them. Since they have a veto over their own material, then we take an enormous risk that they might pull out towards the end. This ethical approach has two functions. 
Firstly, it allows participants to be authors of their own stories, an important part of any healing process for anyone who has undergone a traumatic experience. Secondly, it eases accessibility. Given the ongoing sensitivities from our political conflict, including the contestation over whose stories are privileged, we were informed by several participants that they cooperated with us only on the basis that it was not intended for television or broadcast and that they would have control over its use from editing to embargo to exhibition. A third protocol is to use the life story approach and rely on the materiality of the site to stimulate memory telling. While we engage in conversation with them, it is primarily to seek clarification on something that they are already addressing. In our recordings, there is no list of set questions. Instead, we have taken the life story approach of oral history, which for Kim Lacey Rogers allows room for contradiction a holistic richness and complexity. It gives the opportunity to explore the relations between personal and collective experience by focusing on remembering and forgetting as cultural processes. We established a consistent methodology to our work so that all participants were treated equally. We aimed for the highest affordable production standard using HD cameras and professional camera operators. We also aimed for the highest standards of sensitivity in dealing with traumatic experiences. One precaution that we took was to offer therapy for each participant and also provided a half-day counselling session for all the crew before filming in order to address the transference of trauma. We provided a 15-20 minute briefing before each and after each recording session so that the participant understood what the purposes were and to offer opportunities to reflect on the recording act. All recordings have since been sent to the participants to agree to. Some have asked for minor deletions, mostly where others' names were mentioned. Today I want to look at Armagh Jail, a Victorian prison, used historically to primarily hold women, but often with a male contingent. After the troubles erupted, its capacity could not cope and extra temporary accommodation was built to house the increase first in internees and later in convicted prisoners. The prison closed in 1986 when prisoners were moved to the new Macabre prison, which continues to this day to house women and men in separate areas including those recently convicted of activities on behalf of loyalist and republican dissident armed groups. In this clip from Armagh Stories, prison officer Daphne introduces us to the circle area, the control area at the centre of the prison wings. She checks out that the camera operator has not covered this aspect before in the recordings. We would have come in here in the morning. This was the chief officer's office in here and we would have stood here and we'd have been called to attention and you know inspected and then detailed as to where we were going to work a wing b wing or c wing <coughs> c wing was special category prisoners at that time which was had been phased out from 1976. in this second clip jackie a loyalist prisoner shows us to her old cell so my, my cell was actually up here. Oh, it's right up to the kitchen. 
I was facing the toilets. So I was here. There was my cell here. My God, it's small. I thought it was bigger than that. I remember, I remember this. I opened a wee bit, window opened a wee bit. Tilted, so they just set yogurt side in it to keep them cool. But this is small. There's no light switches in here either. That was the bell. To get out. Yes, because we were facing the bathroom, and the toilet facing the bathroom, the toilet. In this third clip, Josie, a Republican prisoner, describes giving birth and having her baby brought up for the first six months inside prison. One of the most striking aspects of this recording is the way that Josie has a confidence to co-direct, not only in terms of her taking the lead in where to film, but also on how and where she tells her story. Kevin didn't loss out as far as love and affection was concerned. There was plenty here to give up. He was the only baby in the wing. And at night when we'd go in to lock up, I'd sit and play with him and uh, you know, we infectious giggle which could be heard all over the wing. They echo the whole wing in the prison. Um, never short of babysitters. <laughs> You're going to have a bath or do something or just want it now or on your own. Any of the girls would have, would have took Kevin. He was fighting over Kevin as to who wanted to play with him and whatever else. And the day that Kevin was going out of here was very hard on not just himself, but every girl, every girl in here at that time. The significance of the Prison Memory Archive is the most difficult to measure. The work is personal, sensitive, political and contested. We have tested out its impact by taking it to a variety of groups. To date, we have edited extracts into a half-hour film called Unseen Woman and taken this to screening and discussion events in places ranging from Belfast to Monaghan to London. We have run workshops on the material from various constituencies, from nationalist women's groups to security personnel to teenagers. We have collated questionnaires and conducted interviews with participants. The responses have been insightful. Some have criticised the statements of prison officers, others have criticised the statements of prisoners, claiming in both cases that didn't happen, they didn't do that. But most have understood the need to listen to the other's experience. One example occurred during a screening at a local history library in Armagh City. 78 mainly middle-aged female members of the local history group had turned out. One woman from a nationalist background found the screening and follow-up discussion enlightening because, as she stated, it humanised the prison officer who had children and family responsibilities just like her. Our vision is the creation of an interactive documentary archive where users can negotiate their own pathway through the material, retaining some editorial control, for example, constructing a narrative on parenting. This idea of separate but complementary or contrasting stories sitting side by side allows participants to retain a degree of control, preserves a sense of integrity of their story that would be more difficult to achieve in an intercut linear documentary. We are at the first stage of post-production. We are consulting with each participant and we're beginning to negotiate our way around the technical and narrative possibilities.
by offering our society the opportunity to hear and see the stories of all its members, including those with whom we do not agree, we hope that the archive will make transparent and manageable the struggles over what Jelen called the politics of memory. You have been listening to Professor Cahill McLaughlin's lecture, The Prison Memory Archive, in this UCD ScholarCast. A transcript of this lecture can be downloaded at www.ucd.ie forward slash ScholarCast. Mm-hmm.